All right, it is the week of June 13th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Auger, and today we're going to talk about the UFC's relationship with crypto. The UFC has filed some new interesting trademarks we need to take a look at, as well as the crypto market is having a fun time. Fun, not really the word a lot would use, but you know if you've been paying attention. Uh, we're going to talk about the UFC's strategy moving forward in the space, as well as how the fluctuations in the crypto market may affect the company. Then we're going to talk about the UFC's continued growth. Fantastic article by John Nash at Bloody Elbow, breaking down some information from Moody's reports, as well as Endeavor's filings. We're going to highlight the key takeaways. You need to go read that article. I'll give you a link when we go through, but um, yeah, we're going to talk about some of the key takeaways from that report that uh, Nash put together. Then we're going to do our quick hit section where we're going to talk about Elon Musk, Triller, and Jim Miller. So that should be an interesting one. And finally, we're going to cap everything off with a discussion about Ryzen's strategy by having Floyd Mayweather fight Mikuru Asakura. So that'll be a big one. Very interesting long-term strategy and with everything else going on with Ryzen. That in mind, we've got timestamps at the bottom as always, and let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, first thing we're going to talk about today is the UFC's relationship with crypto and Web3. Um, so this is a report coming out of boardroom.tv where a new trademark filing suggests that the world's biggest MMA promotion is increasingly committed to building out its presence regarding the metaverse cryptocurrency and nft shout out to robert joiner who brought this to my attention as well um so according to this article <clears throat> um as noted by attorney josh gerben of gerben intellectual property zufa llc the entity that manages the ufc under the endeavor corporate umbrella submitted a filing to the u.s patent and trademark office on june 8th that suggests intentions to expand the mma's promotion presence in the metaverse the description is uh mark consists of standard characters without claim to any particular font size or color what it's for software as a service SaaS, featuring software which allows members to receive access spend trade and manage cryptocurrency digital currency digital tokens non-fungible tokens digital collectibles and digital assets Two, providing a website featuring technology which allows members to receive spend trade and manage cryptocurrency and then three, computer services, namely creating an online community for members to participate in discussions, form virtual communities, engage in social networking, featuring user-generated content, cryptocurrency, digital currency, digital tokens, all this stuff. So that's important because this, again, signals the UFC essentially creating a software that probably... And, and if I'm wrong here, crypto people, feel free to let me know. Um, but it feels like it is creating a, a wallet and a community, kind of an online presence to trade assets. Um, we've seen this in a couple or tried in a couple other instances. Uh, you had Battlefield FC, right, who had their cryptocurrency, which was going to be traded so that you could kind of watch videos and certain things, and then you gain coins, and then you can take that coin and trade it in for special events or trade it amongst people for certain things. It sounds like this is what that's trying to be. Now, obviously, Battlefield had its whole whole host of issues where that never really got off the ground, but it's creating that kind of community and 
ecosystem around cryptocurrency and Web3 so that people can probably go online and trade digital coins and digital, you know, NFTs similar to UFC Strike and stuff like that, right? But they probably will trade certain things, get to see special video content, get, you know, have special forums, I would assume Q&As and things like that with fighters, uh, maybe Dana, things like that. And you would sign up, get, a, you know, an access login and, and, I don't want to say it's Facebook or anything like this, but if it's supposed to be social media, it would be a, a forum or a board, similar to probably what we do here at SureDog. And then the UFC would sell advertising space on that, and it would kind of be a hub of, oh, okay, come check out the official UFC forums, uh, talking about you know UFC Strike, talking about whatever the new tokens are that UFC is putting out, things like that. The end goal and strategy behind all of this is to create that ecosystem, right? I've talked about it many times before um, with Endeavor, with what one championship was trying to do. We have seen in the business world that the most successful companies tend to be those that create a full ecosystem around their products and services. Endeavor in their initial filings, when they did their roadshow for the IPO talked about wanting to create that giant ecosystem between, you know, WMG or, uh, yeah, WME, IMG talent, uh, doing the betting arena, doing Endeavor content, all that stuff, their sports properties, um, on location services, all that hospitality stuff. They wanted to create this giant ecosystem where they essentially have welcome to Endeavor. We can take care of anything you need. And, you're going to love our products. They're blowing you away, all that type of stuff. They want, they want to be Apple, right? That's what Apple does. That's where Apple became such a behemoth powerhouse in the business world is they created that ecosystem where you have people that are diehard Apple fans. They am friends with some of them. Uh, I'm personally, I, whatever floats your boat. If you want to be Apple, Android, whatever, that's, that's my personal take, but but they've created a system and a consumer environment where you have people defending the brand, regardless of the quality sometimes, right? They say, I'm an Apple person. I, you know, I have a friend who, again, is an Apple guy. He insists that Apple is the way to go. If you're not doing Apple, he will berate people for not having an Apple phone or doing Apple products or using, you know, Apple. I've seen this in the consulting world. I've had a contract that I was working on and uh, ended up falling through for other reasons, but may come back to it at some point. And I was asked, like, are you an Apple or PC? And, you know, I said, well, it just depends. Like, let me know. And they're like, well, we're a big Apple here. Like, I mean, if you're a PC, it's kind of it. And it's, that's crazy to me. And it really, if I had said, oh, I'm a big PC guy, it might have actually just caused the contract to fall through, which is crazy to think about because it really didn't matter what we were working on you could do through either and it wasn't a huge thing, but that's the type of environment they've fostered in their consumers, right? They've created that ecosystem. People line up for the newest iPhones. They line up for the newest Apple products. They rave about it regardless of, you know, probably the quality compared to some of the highest end stuff, Especially, you know, 
with with changes after Steve Jobs left and all this stuff, they still they defend it no matter what. And we've seen this mirrored a little bit in the UFC, right? We've seen those diehard UFC fans who say that, you know, so-and-so fighters outside the UFC would, would get crushed by UFC guys. They're not good enough. Or I don't care, I'm a UFC fan. We've seen we've seen in the media where if you lambast or criticize, yeah, let, let me retract that. If you mildly criticize the UFC for certain practices or certain decisions, you will have people come out and defend the UFC even if their stance is not rooted in any facts or logic. But they're UFC fans. They're diehard UFC fans. And they'll say, you're just a hater, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. I mean, if, if you are an MMA media member who's watching this right now, I know you've seen it. Um, especially some media members who I'm good friends with or know well, I know you've seen it. <laughs> and it's that culture, that ecosystem. That was part of what the UFC wanted to build with, with the branding, Right. This is now a second step to that. And it's it's creating an even deeper ecosystem where, okay, I'm a diehard UFC fan and, or maybe I'm just a UFC fan and I'm not quite diehard yet. And now I'm a big crypto guy and, oh man, they've set up this, you know, software where I can exchange crypto and, and talk to people on forums about my crypto and oh, I've got my UFC strike NFT so I can trade and talk about that. And, and now I'm part of a community and suddenly I become a diehard UFC fan. It's basically trying to convert a lot of the crypto crowd into being full on UFC guys or girls as well. Right. It's taking their passion for a different product, plugging it in to their product so that they can hopefully convert into becoming a diehard fan. So you're buying every pay-per-view, you're defending the brand regardless, and it, it loops all in. You've got crypto people that maybe like, oh yeah, I know the UFC or whatever, but oh man, now the UFC is so cool. They're doing all this awesome stuff with crypto and man, I'm a big fan. And you turn that, if, if we're talking about net promoter score stuff here, right, which I've talked about a little bit, I haven't, probably do a deep dive on at some point, but high level here, net promoter score is all about getting promoters of your brand or product and preventing detractors based on this scaling score. This is the type of thing where if you've got a middling score where, okay, they're not a promoter, but they're not a detractor, doing something like this can hopefully nudge them into the promoter realm which then helps more consumers and, and more new customers come in. That's the end goal here. So that's what the UFC is trying to do, in my opinion, with this. We don't know, again, the specifics of the community, um, what the software as a service will be explicitly, um, what the online community will really look like. Will it be forums kind of like SureDog? Will it be more of a... Uh, comment section type area that you might see on, you know, UFC articles now on UFC.com. We don't know the specifics, but that would be my guess with what they're trying to do with this. Because it also, again, fits in with Endeavor's overall goal and, and plan to create the ecosystem. 
they're going to try and do this with a lot of their subsidiaries, but UFC is probably the most important given the revenue that the UFC is generating. So makes sense to me that they're trying to do this. Now, here is the interesting part about all of this. This is obviously all focused around cryptocurrency, uh, blockchain, Web3 type stuff. If you are not following cryptocurrency or you've, you know, even if you're not, you've probably heard some things about it because it's it's kind of a huge deal right now where Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the big crypto, you know, the crypto market in general is down quite a bit. I believe the last I checked, it was down to Bitcoin was down to 20,000 or maybe under 20,000 dollars per coin, which at its highest, it was around 60 something. So, I mean, that's a huge drop. You've got a ton of lawsuits coming out as well against celebrities um, for pump and dump schemes on crypto. You've got a, there's a fantastic piece um, in the journal, Wall Street Journal's podcast, where they talk about kind of what's happening in the crypto market right now. Highly recommend it if you want to just digest that in a 19 minute format. And you don't follow a lot of this stuff, but kind of want to know a little bit more suggest going to listen to that because it really highlights some of the craziness on, especially involving celebrities and bigger names in the crypto market and how things have changed recently. Right. And it's not that crypto is going away. There's still plenty of people that are all on board and all this stuff. But along with that, it's something that is important to think about is that crypto right now is in a position where it has not been in a long time, which we had an initial spike in Bitcoin forever ago where it was like to like 5,000 or so and then it went back down and then it kind of took off on this new height. This is, it has been a while since we've done this um, kind of back and forth in the crypto market <laughs> where we've had a real downturn. So even though we're talking about this ecosystem and everything else, crypto right now, again, is is in trouble. Will it rebound? It's hard to say, honestly. It really is. But right now, the market is down quite a bit. And the UFC has partnered with several crypto co- companies uh, crypto.com, right, is one of their big sponsors. VeChain, another big sponsors. And crypto.com just went through a round of layoffs. And they're expecting this, you know, crypto winter. They're a big crypto recession, all of this stuff. And what I've seen out there, right, because the UFC, again, is trying to build this ecosystem, do all this stuff. And what I've seen out there from a couple of people is what happens if crypto.com goes under? What happens if, you know, VeChain goes under and then all of that sponsorship money is gone. It's a hit to the UFC for sure, but I want to set the expectations that at this point, the UFC is completely fine in terms of if they lose that money. It's it's bad for them and it would probably cause some turbulence in Endeavor stock but they are more than okay, at least profitability-wise, right? They could lose those sponsors, VeChain, Crypto.com. Uh, this new trademark they filed could fall through, 
and it doesn't look great, but they are still very, very profitable. And we'll get into this a little bit um, as we discuss the Nash article in the next segment, but they are set up right now in a position where they could lose a lot of these sponsorships and they're still very, very profitable. Now, how profitable they need to be based on Endeavor's needs is a whole nother, you know, mess to tackle, but it's not going to sink them. I've seen a couple people say like, oh man, that could really turn things around for the UFC if they lose that huge sponsorship. Like it's not good, but they're not in trouble by any means. And it's important to remember that they're, they're completely fine standing on their own outside of that stuff. So it's, it's not the end of the world if that happens, but could that happen? Yes. I think it's entirely possible. Again, the last time we've seen crypto go down like this, it went back to very low levels. This was back when it peaked to like five or 6,000 um, per Bitcoin. And then it went back down before its meteoric rise in the past three, four years or so. If it fell that much, where it really sank, yeah, I don't see how some of these firms like crypto.com, I don't see how they stay in business. Um, VeChain, it was brought up again, Robert Joyner, just killing it this week, um, was brought up in terms of this type of sponsorship VeChain has done with the UFC is out of the norm for their normal sponsorship deals. It's a big deal for them. If crypto as a whole really enters a big recession and really depression where money really flows out of it, people stop engaging with it, all of that, then I think they're probably in trouble too. Now they have Web3 stuff. So again, they have actual function behind it. It's not just Bitcoin, which is literally kind of depending on how many people are putting money into it and the value of, of the scarcity of it. They have actual plugin type. And again, I'm not a crypto crypto expert or guy. So if I'm saying this wrong, feel free to correct me, but they have actual, how do I want to phrase this? They have an actual service or product that they use. That's not just a coin that you trade, right? They are connected into various, you know, they they are involved already in a lot of industries. They're connected into various areas where, Yes, they could still go under and take a huge hit if crypto falls through and Web3 stuff with it falls through, but they're a little bit more insulated than just being a random crypto coin that we see right now. Crypto with coins are, are not doing well. So they might be able to, to ride out this wave depending on how bad the wave is. But if this all falls apart... UFC will be okay. It could all fall apart, though. I will say that. I don't think it's likely it will completely fall apart, but it's possible. It really is. It could be that we're talking about, oh, remember that crypto fad five, 10 years from now, and nobody's really using it. There's enough actual real-world application with the blockchain and some of these other bits and things where I don't think that'll happen, but it, it could you never know. You, you cannot predict markets. There is one thing I want to wrap up with this segment. 
is there is a great book out there called The Strategy Paradox. Um, author's name escapes me. I read it a while ago, but fantastic book if you want to know about strategy. And in it, the key piece of information and, and really the biggest takeaway is that you can do everything right. You can have the right market. You can have the right customer base. You can have the right product, right service. You cannot predict what the general market will do. You don't know what disruptor will pop up to trash the market. You don't know what, you know, economic or political conditions, right? Nobody really saw the Ukraine war coming. I mean, you can't control everything and you can't control that broader market. And if the broader market moves away from your product or service, you can't do anything about it. You have to either adapt to move with it or you, you go under. And that whole book is essentially about companies that had the right strategy, had the right product service, had everything in place and the broader market moved away from what they were trying to do and they fell through. That could be the case with a lot of crypto co companies right now, right? It's very, very possible. So I don't know what will happen, but what the UFC is trying to do is again, build that broader, broader ecosystem and whether or not they can pull it off, especially with crypto going down is, is hard to say. I think you will not see any more crypto sponsorships and I would not be shocked if at least one of the current UFC's current crypto sponsors pulls out or goes under. Would not be shocked in that case. So those are my two thoughts on it. If you're a crypto expert or guy out there, girl out there, um, feel free to leave comments on this. Let me know if you agree with my assessment. If you don't, if I'm misexplaining anything, please let me know because that's the last thing I want to do. And I know I'm slightly out of my element here. Um, so please let me know. But I'm, I think I've explained, at least from a broader strategy perspective, why the UFC is doing what they're doing and what could happen given the current market turbulence. So let me know in the comments. Let me know your thoughts about this too. Even if you're not a crypto person, do you care about this? Like just love to hear your comments on this one, guys. All right. Next thing we're going to talk about here, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, um, mostly because it's it's laid out in a way that, you know, the information's all right there, uh, and and I don't need to go through and re rehash that for you. But uh, Don Nash, again, friend of the show, business guru, man who knows everything about business and MMA, uh, released an article on bloodyelbow.com saying documents show UFC now makes over $1 billion a year, minimal costs and more growth expected. And what John did here was take some information from Moody's SEC filings and Endeavor's earnings call, uh, put it together, piece some things together from that and gave a great overview of where the UFC's growth is over the past couple of years and what projected growth is, where you know, people are expecting in terms of projected costs, all that stuff. Go read the article, first and foremost. He, he lays it out very well. I know it's numbers heavy and business heavy, but if you're listening to this, you're probably, you've probably already seen the article. If you haven't, go read it. 
if you're a numbers guy and business guy like me, you love this stuff. Um, and all this information too is out there free, right? Everything that, that Nash was able to grab from to put this together is out there. He has done a fantastic job synthesizing it into a digestible format for all of us. So shout out to him as always. Um, in terms of the big takeaways from this, uh, in 2021, UFC had an EBITDA of approximately 523 million in margins above 50%. Now, this is assuming a couple caveats we need to take with this report, which Nash does call out, but this assumes one, that the Endeavor executives are giving correct um, CAGR percentages on the call, which they should be, but you never know, right? It, it, we, we do not have the exact filings and internal numbers. So we don't know for sure, but we're going to trust them at face value here. Um, it's also assuming, again, that some of the numbers referenced in different areas from 2005 and different other places are all legitimate which again, there's no reason to think they're not. So that's another, I've seen a couple people say like, oh, well, we, they could just be lying about their numbers. Yeah, they could, but I don't think they are in this case because again, what Nash had to do here to kind of connect the dots and trace everything back to different documents. I don't think, I don't think Endeavor executives are that nefarious or that, you know, scheming to be like oh we're gonna throw out these numbers and if somebody connects them all they won't quite be right they still won't know maybe but i my guess is we can trust these um but yeah so ebitda is over 520 millions and that's not profit so that's important he nash calls this out it's not profits um but their revenue growth is now over a billion dollars According to this article, you had 2018 revenue at 695 million, 2019 at 860, 2020 at 890, and then a giant bump to 1 billion, uh, $20 million for revenue in 2021 with a margin of 51%. So over a three-year period, that's a 16% growth in margin. That's huge. And a lot of the 2020 to 2021 bump comes from, at least according to Moody's, live revenue and live gate, even though that is a small part of the business or smaller relative to, you know, media rights deals, sponsorships and stuff like that. Since COVID ended, right, there's been this big bump now in live events, which we talked about when COVID happened. I said we were going to get this bump from people staying at home, watching the pay-per-views. We've now seen that kind of subside, right? Because we know at least from reports that Oliveira Gaethje was the highest pay-per-view of the year so far at 400K or so, which is, is down quite a bit from 2020 and 2021 when you had much higher numbers or at least much higher reported numbers. Um, so we knew that that bump was temporary. I also think the bump from live gate, is also going to be temporary, but you've got a bunch of people that have been cooped up and want to go do things. That's part of the reason why flights are so expensive, at least in the US, but I'm assuming globally, right? As things have opened up, now people have been cooped up for a while or have had big restrictions on where to go. There's this huge demand and I've been cooped up. I want to go out and travel, do things. 
I want to go to live events. I want to go do these things. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. So it's not shocking to me that their live gate from events like UFC London or, you know, some of their bigger pay-per-views are, are killing it. UFC Columbus, right? Had the highest domestic um, live gate. UFC London, I think, was the highest fight night gate in history. Not shocking. And uh, UFC Austin this weekend looked at ticket prices. I mean, yeah, they're ridiculously high, especially compared to the last time I went to a show in Austin, which was Cerrone Medeiros, which would have been 2017, I think. 2016, 2017. I mean, I looked in the same section. It's a different... All right, well, I got to walk that back a little bit. It's a different brand new arena now. But I looked in about the same section that would have been equivalent to the other arena, and prices were about two and a half times higher than they were when I looked last time. And their tickets are still selling. Makes sense. Makes plenty of sense. So, again that's a huge, huge boost for the UFC at this point. Um, other key takeaways. And I think this is a, a big one that Nash didn't specifically call out in this article. He did, I think tweet about it, but I want to call this out that, um, as of March 31st, 2022, we have borrowed an aggregate. This is from the SEC filings. Um, and this is Endeavor talking, an aggregate of $2.8 billion of first lien term loans under the UFC credit facilities. Following a repricing under the UFC credit facilities in January 2021, borrowings under those facilities bear interest at a variable interest rate equal to either at our option, adjusted LIBOR or, or the ABR plus, in each case, an applicable margin. LIBOR term loans accrue interest at a rate equal to an adjusted LIBOR plus uh, 2.75%, 3%, depending on the first lien leverage ratio, in each case with a LIBOR floor of 0.75. Um, ABR term loans accrue interest at a rate equal to the highest of A, federal fund effective rate plus 0.5%, B, the prime rate, C, adjusted LIBOR for a one-month interest, interest period plus 1%, and D, 1.75% plus 1.75%, 2%. So again, that's a lot of business jargon. Let me break this down. In simplest terms, right? That means that they have a variable interest rate loan where they have to pay interest payments either through this LIBOR, adjusted LIBOR, or ABR plus, which ABR has lots of different things, which is basically the highest of those four options uh, plus 1.752%. What that means is that as interest rates increase for borrowing, which we've seen the Fed do, right? They just, just did a 0.75% increase, which is their highest since 1994. As that increases, the UFC will have to pay more in interest because it's a variable interest rate. Similar to what happened way back in the financial recession of 2008, where a lot of homes were bought on variable interest rates. So as interest rates go up, your payments go up. And this does not mean the UFC is going under or anything of that nature, but it will eat into their overall profit, right? It If you have variable interest rate loans, if interest rates go up, you've got to pay more. 
So it's a higher cost of doing business. Now, if they can keep their revenue growth at a pace that really outpaces that interest rate hike, then sure, they're fine. You're, you'll still make as much or more profit. But if you don't, you're going to actually lose a little bit. And this is part of what I talked about a couple weeks ago when I said, as the market kind of turns here, the UFC will not be in a position where they're, oh, they're going to go under and it's terrible, but they might not be seeing that growth. They've been growing year over year over year since, you know, before 2016 when they were bought all, they've been consistently growing and cost cutting after Endeavor took over. But, you know, they, they've been on that growth trajectory. This might be the inkling as interest rates get hiked up, as inflation's been higher, it, this might be the inkling that they might hit their first real bump in the road in quite some time. And that'll be interesting when it comes to Endeavor because they rely on the UFC for most of their cash at this point still. They are starting to turn profits and, and get in the black in some of their other businesses, especially as things open up. They are... are making those moves to get everything else situated. But the UFC is still the crown jewel and still the main moneymaker. This is saying that, okay, that's still the case, but the interest payments we have that we took on the loans we took out under the UFC are going to go up. And my guess is they're going to keep increasing quite a bit. Inflation is still very high the Fed has turned hawkish, but they still have a long way to go. I think you're going to keep seeing spikes. I don't think we've hit the top yet. Maybe we have. I could easily be wrong here. But in my opinion, I think they're going to have to raise rates quite a bit more. And again, as they raise rates, that means more payments. Higher interest payments. I'm sorry, not more. Higher interest payments for the UFC, which eats into their profit margin. So they'll have to continue their growth at a level that outpaces that. Now, that's certainly possible, right? We know they have media rights deals coming up in Argentina, um, I believe Norway, and there's one other country that escapes me, maybe South Korea, um, where they've got those, those rights coming up soon. They're talking about going to Brazil for an event soon. That's definitely a reason why, similar to what they did with the UK rights and BT Sport, they're definitely going to probably have a big show in Brazil. My guess would be um, having Oliveira defend the belt at lightweight, but we'll see. Um, definitely some homegrown Brazil stars, though, right? And they'll they'll go to Brazil, have a big show, try and double their media rights deals there. They'll continue to to make big strides in those areas. They'll probably continue to make big strides in the sponsorship area too. As they continue to do that, there's a good chance they outpace the ballooning interest rate payments. But if they don't, it'll be interesting to see what happens because my assumption would be is if they start to flatten on their actual EBITDA and profits or they decrease even just a little bit, it's going to hit Endeavor stock pretty hard just because the market's already priced in that here's what the UFC is pulling in, doing all this stuff, you know, 
all, all of these profits, this expected growth, if you now miss that growth, your stock gets hit, even though you're still very profitable. That's just how the market tends to work. So those are my big takeaways from this. Um, again, read the article. Well worth it. Fantastic work by Nash. Going to be interesting to see what happens over the course of the next six months. Because as we talked about with the crypto space and now rising interest rates, could see for the first time in a long time a squeeze on UFC's profits. They'll still be very profitable, but they might actually plateau or dip a little bit if market conditions go a certain way. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with this. All right, we're going to go through our quick hit section now. Going to be pretty quick on this just because I'm limited on time here, but a couple of goofy things we need to talk about. First off, Elon Musk is resigning from Endeavor's board. Um, he ended up still taking around 150 k in equity, but he did file to resign from the board of Endeavor. Uh, if you remember a while ago, he was brought on to Endeavor's board. Um, it was kind of a little bit of a big deal, especially, you know, he was he was talking about crypto and and was talking about things he could do for Endeavor's board moving forward. He is now resigning. I think it makes plenty of sense why this is happening right now. Uh, Musk is currently embroiled in several, several not so fun things. Um, you've got lawsuits against pump and dump schemes. You've got the uh, investigation regarding his possible purchase of Twitter uh, Tesla is taking a hit right now in terms of some of their growth and um, sales and things like that. And you've got the autopilot issues. You've got some accusations against Musk. He's got a lot going on right now. It makes plenty of sense why they probably decided it was for the best that he step away because he probably needs to take care of that stuff and Endeavor doesn't want anything that may come out of those investigations or issues with Musk to tarnish Endeavor's brand. Um, so I'm not super shocked that's happening, but it is still a relevant um, relevant thing that we should talk about because, again, that's a big name leaving Endeavor's board. So I don't know that it will affect the company that much. I really don't know how involved Musk was in terms of decisions or influence. I don't think that much from what I've heard, but I don't have great sources on that side of things. So We'll see. My guess is it's not that big a deal. Uh, next, Triller is trying to do an IPO after its failed merger with Sea Change. So Triller tried to merge with a company called Sea Change that fell through. Now they're looking to do a giant IPO. Uh, I think it's ranged somewhere at five billion pounds or something like that, um, which is is crazy to think about, right? Triller has done a lot of interesting marketing ploys. Uh, had some solid events and and they've been a bit of a disruptor in terms of, you know, pulling some MMA fighters to go box for them or getting bigger name boxers to leave established promoters. But as we've talked about, right, they, they were never making a profit and it was very much hyper growth and, and big startup type moves in terms of let's get these giant events happening. Let's get more funding. Let's move this, all this stuff. Sea change merger was almost certainly the exit strategy for some of the investors 
slash founders of, of Triller, right? That's to back up a little bit, just from a high level perspective, a lot of times when you have a big disruptor startup in the space, really their end goal is not to create a company that truly disrupts the market and becomes this giant force. I mean, if that happens, awesome. And they're usually fine with that. But a lot of times the main goal going in for those guys is to really enact their exit strategy, which is become big enough, become a, a disruptor that, that's getting enough traction and recognition that somebody offers to buy you out. And a lot of people are shocked when they hear this, but that's, I mean, that's the majority of startups. They are trying to create a company that will get enough traction to be bought out by a bigger company so that the founders and investors can take the payday and then move on to their next idea. A lot of entrepreneurs are serial entrepreneurs. They really love creating something, getting it off the ground, having somebody buy it from them, and then starting a new idea. They, they From the community that I've met, I would say there's... Uh, in my personal experience, at least 75% of startup founders or entrepreneurs are very much like that. They have a shiny toy. They have an idea. They love it. They try and enact it. They get there. And then once it comes to the execution and the, the quote unquote boring bits of running the business, they say, great, somebody else do that. I'm going to go create this because that's what they love to do. So that's probably what Triller was trying to do here. The fact that the merger fell through, that's not good. Um, that's pretty bad, in fact, because that made the most sense, my opinion, in terms of an exit strategy. Going with an IPO is going to be tough. Could it work? Maybe, but we've seen VC appetite really cool, um, especially with market conditions as they are now. I don't know that Triller is going to get anywhere near the money they're hoping from this IPO. But something to look and talk about and important to recognize Um yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what the actual, if they go through with the IPO, what the actual price will end up being. But yeah, yeah, I, I really don't know what else to say other than that. Um, lastly, on the quick hits, we're going to talk about Jim Miller. So it was revealed this week that at UFC 276, Jim Miller is fighting out his contract and it's a UFC decision, not his call. Sounds like he would prefer to continue fighting fighting in the UFC, but it's really, he's not sure how it's going to work out. My guess here, as some, some of you have speculated is that as we've talked about, there are a fair amount of aging veterans that are getting paid very well, that are not going to be title contenders and are not, not the gatekeepers they need to be to stick around. Right. Best example of a gatekeeper that has stuck around forever and I think will probably stick around until they opt to retire is, unless they go on a crazy losing streak again, is probably Andre Olovsky, right? He makes crazy amounts of money, more than some champions do on their base, <laughs> and he's is a heavyweight gatekeeper. Now, he also, we don't know the exact grandfathered-in contracts there, right? Um, they kept... Alistair Overeem around for a long time, Mark Hunt for a long time. That could easily be because of provisions in those grandfathered contracts where maybe if they're winning a certain amount, they have to be kept on. It's, it's hard to say, but, um, but 
Arlovsky has also been fine playing the role of heavyweight gatekeeper, and there really aren't too many other heavyweight gatekeepers out there, at least that I can think of off the top of my head, right? Heavyweight's been kind of a shallow division for the UFC, so it's not super surprising. Um, Miller, on the other hand, is in the lightweight division, which is stacked, and yeah, he's been a legend and a name, but he's he's gatekeeping a little bit at this point, but not not a top 15 gatekeeper or top 10 gatekeeper type of thing, right? He's he's a big name you get on your resume if you're an up-and-coming guy, if you win. And you're probably still not getting a ranked opponent if you beat him, maybe, but you're probably getting a 20 to 25 ranked guy um, somewhere in that range. So it's not shocking, depending on how much Jim Miller is making, that the UFC is looking to kind of end things with them. It's very possible that, again, he fights out his contract and the UFC comes back with a lower number and says, hey, like, you can stay around, but we're going to have to cut your pay. Um, wouldn't be shocked on that front. But he he fits that scenario of an aging veteran who is a big name in the sport, legend in the sport, but isn't isn't going to help the promotion in the way that several other people would and for the, for his price tag, right? He probably, I would imagine at this point is I would hope he's making at least six figures a fight um, for his base. And then like maybe six to show six win or, you know, 80 and 80 at a minimum, but I would hope more than that, given how long he's been around still, this is the type of cost cutting the UFC is doing. They're going to cut guys like Jim Miller and bring in Dana White contender series guys. That's keeping fighter costs down. Now, will this actually happen? We don't know. But the fact that he's going into this fighting out his contract and it wasn't his call tells me that I can't imagine they're going to resign him unless they offer him a lot less money and he takes it. That would be my only guess. If he's, Resigns with the UFC. My first question would be: Is did you take a pay cut to resign? Because my guess would be yes. So sad because again he's a legend, but it's it's the cost of doing business and it's part of what the UFC is trying to do, as we just talked about: keep those profit margins higher. Interest rates are going up, cut fighter costs. Makes sense to do from a business perspective. All right, that's quick hit section. Let me know if you have any questions, comments, thoughts on that. If I missed any quick hit you want me to throw in next time, let me know. I'll do that as well, but that's quick hits. All right, last thing I want to talk about today. Mayweather Rising. Floyd Mayweather is going to fight Mikuru Asakura. Drake Riggs, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, if you're even watching this. Uh, but they're going to have an exhibition bout and this caught a lot of people by surprise, myself included. Last time we saw Floyd in a rising ring was against Tension in an exhibition where Floyd acts, absolutely clowned him. Uh, and it was it was pretty shocking to see Tension take it so hard. I mean, Floyd still still has it, right? I, I would assume he still has it since the last time we've seen him. Uh, and we know that he's doing an exhibition tour right he was scheduled to do a exhibition fight on a helipad in saudi arabia i think and then that got canceled um 
this is what Floyd is doing now. He is doing these exhibition fights post-career to get more money. It's not that surprising. Um, from what was reported last time Floyd fought Verizon, I think it was a $9 million price tag. And Floyd said he got $1.5 million to go to the press conference where they talked about him versus Mikaru. So I think... I think there's a lot of questions on, in terms of why Ryzen is doing this. What's the overall strategy here? If you also missed the match information, right, which was a very highly anticipated fight that's going to happen um, between Tenshin, Nasakawa, and Takaru, I believe. Um, highly, highly anticipated kickboxing match. I'm very excited for it. I'm not a big kickboxing guy. I'm very excited to see that, although can't watch it internationally. So uh, that'll be interesting because they didn't get a deal done. But you had Fuji TV essentially pull the media rights for that based on Sakuraba's background. There are a couple of articles. I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of Sakuraba's history, a couple of articles out there that have resurfaced um, and there's plenty of stuff you can look up, but it ties back to his relationships to the Yakuza or perceived relationships to the Yakuza uh, ties back to pride in some ways in terms of how that all kind of fell through a lot of fun history there. I encourage you to go down that rabbit hole if you wish, because it's, it's just very interesting stuff in my opinion. Seems that some of that shade is being, you know, thrown here in terms of the match and maybe even with Floyd, like that's part of the reason it's happening. But here's what I will say. I'm going to look at this from a strategic view outside of Sakuraba's ties because there's definitely enough information there where you can draw your own conclusions but it's not definitive enough and I'm not enough of an expert on it that I'm not going to sit here and say like, this is really what's happening with blah, blah, blah. Not in that scenario. I'm not going to go down that path. So instead I will look at this from the lens of what is the strategy for Ryzen bringing in Mayweather, having this fight? What is the overall goal? Right? On the surface, it would seem simple. You bring in a huge name like Floyd Mayweather to fight a upcoming or bigger name in Ryzen and get more eyeballs on the product. And yes, that's definitely part of it. But in terms of an end strategy here, because the from a cost-benefit analysis, if Mayweather's claims are true, that's a very expensive way to bring eyeballs onto Ryzen. I think this is a strategy that is twofold. One is is just that. Get more eyes on Ryzen. Get everything, you know, focused there where this is a big name. This could be a big issue in terms of, you know, maybe Mikuru upsets Floyd in the exhibition. And all of a sudden, boom, you got a star. Yeah, it's possible. I doubt it will happen, but it's possible. Um technically and and it's just to draw more eyes i think this is also 
partially a PR type stunt. Fuji TV is a main partner for Ryzen. When the match fell through and some of those issues happened, there were questions about whether Ryzen's con- relationship with Fuji TV would continue. I think this probably is an overture to keep the relationship intact. It's, it's PR mitigation, I would say. Especially because this kind of came out of nowhere and it was post um, post the match broadcast rights falling through. Would not shock me if this is to kind of, yeah, the match thing, it didn't work out, but check it out. Floyd's back and he's fighting Miku. Well, this is huge, right? I think that's a huge part of this as well. I think this is a move based on the facts we know that the match fell through with Fuji TV because of their concerns. And there was some doubt cast over Ryzen and Fuji TV's relationship moving forward. I think this is an overture to either keep that relationship intact or depending on what's happened, maybe I've missed it. I haven't seen anything in terms of Fuji TV has canceled Ryzen, any of that stuff. But if they have, this might be an overture to like, Hey, Look at how many views we're going to get. We're going to have Floyd back here. You want to be a part of this. And this is trying to reel him back in. I think whether or not the deal is has been severed, this is definitely an overture to Fuji TV from Ryzen. Because that is a huge, huge part of Ryzen's success. If you don't have that media rights relationship, Ryzen's dead in the water. I mean, it just is. So, yes, you will have a lot of people tuning in for this fight, I'm sure. Even if it's an exhibition, I mean, I will. I know several boxing people who don't watch Ryzen or care about MMA who are going to turn tune in for it because Floyd's there. I think you'll have bigger numbers. You'll definitely have bigger numbers than normal, I would imagine. And on top of that, yes, it costs a lot, but if it repairs or works to repair that relationship, it keeps Ryzen alive. So this is a cost of doing business expense, in my opinion. I think that's a huge part of this entire matchup. Because if we're looking at it from just a perspective of, oh, this will bring more eyeballs to Ryzen, and this is just a growth strategy, we've seen Tension versus Floyd, which was on paper a more intriguing matchup. And the returns on that from what reported, I believe, were, okay, you got people watching it, but it wasn't nearly, if if Floyd got paid $9 million to, to go and do that, your cost-benefit analysis was almost certainly in the red, right? The benefit was not worth the money that you paid. Now, Floyd could be lying about how much he's getting paid. That's very possible, um, in which case, okay, that changes things. But if we assume that number to be true, I wouldn't have, at least based on the reports we saw, I wouldn't have looked at Floyd tension and say, you know what, we're going to bring Floyd back for another go with an Asakura brother. Right? Um, Personally, I don't think that would have been the right business call. But if you're doing that to, again, get a bump in ratings and appease Fuji, well, yeah. Then it's PR mitigation. Then it's cost of doing business. So then then that changes things. 
you're still going to lose money on it. But sometimes you have to make decisions where you're losing money and you're sinking that cost of sinking money into cost of business items to keep the business thriving, right? That's what cost of business items are. So I think that's really the end goal here, strategy-wise. Now, I could be wrong. Could be, again, that Fuji and, and Sakuraba and, and Ryzen are all good, and this is just something that's been planned and in the works for a long time, and it just happened to come out and coincide with this, and they they looked at the tension Floyd numbers, and they said, you know what, let's give it another go. Let's do all this, blah, 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 because it is an MMA fighter instead of a kickboxer, although I believe it's still just boxing. It's not MMA, so it's not like Floyd stepping into MMA. I think that would be a bigger boost for Ryzen in that case. Um, it's, it's possible, but my perception of this is given the timing and given everything that's going on, this, this is Ryzen appealing to Fuji. And this is them trying to keep those critical partnerships intact. Whether or not it will work is yet to be seen. Um, if the Fuji relationship is already severed and gone, this might be an overture to a new partner, right? Which, I mean, Fuji is the big player over there in Japan, so I'm not sure who they exactly appeal to in that regard. I mean, there there are other options, but Fuji is really the main player. So I, I think that would be important to, to discuss um, and to look at a little bit further in terms of who else they could be appealing to. But I'm, I'm going to assume here, this is for Fuji. This is a move in that regard. Um, and I think, yeah, ultimately that's, that's the play here. So we will see as time goes on. Um, we will see who really, you know, benefits the most from this. My guess is we'll know in about a month or two, um, if based on reports, you know, I, well, I'm saying all this, but at the same time with Ryzen, it's, it's hard because sometimes we get information that you might expect out of these events. Other times it's, it's silent, but I will work some of my context to dig into this a little bit deeper and to figure out post Floyd Asakura if, or are closer to Floyd Asakura, rather, either or, um, if that's really what's going on here. But don't be shocked if that's the case. Don't be shocked if there's a report that comes out and says, like, yeah, this was more of an overture to a partnership. Um, this was more, you know, something that Ryzen decided they needed to do. Also, don't be shocked if it's the other way around, and this is purely to get new eyes, and it just happened to co coincidentally happen <laughs> at this time. But... That's my take on it. Let me know your thoughts um, and we will, you know, discuss a little bit further as time goes on. And as I get more information, I'm assuming I will check back in on this after I'm still waiting to hear for a couple of people, but I'm assuming I will check back in on this in a couple of weeks or so, but I'll let you guys know. Anyway, let me know your thoughts regarding the whole Floyd Mayweather Ryzen situation, the match situation with Fuji TV and Sakuraba's past. If you know more about Sakuraba's past, you've already gone that rabbit hole, or you you were around during that time and you remember Pride and 
everything that happened when pride got bought by the UFC and, and all that fun stuff, feel free to comment. Very curious to hear your guys' thoughts on that, especially if you are an original pride watcher and then kind of transitioned in the UFC or watching during that time frame because this is interesting stuff. This is one of those things where this is the type of business situation we don't see as much anymore where like old relationships and, and past ties to certain things really affect business, right? Sakuraba could step down. They could have somebody else move and rise and this would all be gone. But I mean, he's, he's firmly at the helm here. Very curious to get your guys' thoughts on what you think um, this whole situation is. Because that's my take on it from my perspective in business and consulting, but I would love to hear your guys' perspective as well. All right, guys, and that does it for another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Uh, As you can see, I'm still getting used to my new house stuff, and there's some other stuff going on today. It's been a crazy day, Um, but we will get into this normal schedule, and we will get set up. I've got some cool things I'm going to do with that wall, I think. I just kind of got to get it set up, but let me know any and all comments and questions about anything I covered today, uh, especially about the crypto space and the Mayweather rise and stuff going on. If you're following that. Um, and yeah, I excited to, to be in the new house, excited for some new stuff that I'm going to get to you guys. Got a very special episode. I'm still working on, I'm going to leave it a secret for now, but I will, I will tell you it's, it's, something I'm very excited to be working on that should be released sometime in the next month or so, maybe a little bit beyond that. But let me know your questions, comments, all that stuff. Love you guys as always. Appreciate you listening. If you're on YouTube, uh, we are on YouTube and we will stay on YouTube from here on out. Apologize about last week. Not sure what happened there. Um, Was not my call. I will say that much. Uh, But like, subscribe, bell notification. If you are listening on Google, Anchor, Apple, whatever, uh, just appreciate any likes, subscribes, any things like that as well. But appreciate all you guys. And until next time, get money.